0: Hey, folks, and welcome back to the Continuing the Conversation podcast. I'm joined here today by my good friend Meredith Mills. How are you, Meredith?
1: I'm doing great, thanks. How about you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So today we discussed uh, the Tower of Babel, so Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and Carolyn gave just some really good insights and and I, I thought did an excellent job of bringing it to bear not only on where our current world is, but also, frankly, where our church is in terms of how we make decisions. Um, Meredith, what what were your big takeaways?
1: Um, I love today how she said where people are building monuments, um, specifically to ourselves. Yeah. Um, God is building movements, um, mm-hmm. and specifically covenant the covenant that will lead to wholeness and to holiness.
0: That's good. That's good. Yeah. And um, that was powerful to me because it got me thinking about the fact that, man, if if the focus of my life is how do I listen to the Lord and how do I obey His voice, that's a successful life. Yeah. It doesn't. I don't need more than that. That's enough. Um,
1: yeah, and and. I think we see these giants, so to speak, of the faith in, mm-hmm. in Scripture, but then we also see people like Enoch, and we don't know much about him, yeah. but he he walked with God, yep. and that's kind of the only thing we know about him. Yep. And so sometimes God leads people to have huge influence and sometimes just a small influence, but either way, like you said, that's a win.
0: <laughs> you know, it's so cool you bring him up. I remember one time the Lord started challenging my thinking on something, and, and he just kind of brought this question to my mind of why why would it only say in Scripture, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, uh, for God took him away. Why why wouldn't it tell us more about what he did? And, and I remember just thinking about that and praying about it, and finally the Lord just brought it to my mind that, Anything that we do as an external trapping of, you know, Moses delivers Israel or um, David is king of Israel. All of those things are just kind of external trappings of the core interior reality of just walking with God. Yeah. Like that's what a successful life is. Right. That's the heart
1: of... Any of the callings that he gives us, yeah. that's the heart, and that's that's what enables us to walk out the calling um, in the way that honors him, and that's good, and s- spreads the kingdom.
0: That's good. That's good. Yeah, she she talked about how the kingdom, the way of the kingdom is down. It's yeah, it's not it's not a let me build a name for myself. It's well, let me say not my will but thine be done. Yeah, um, that's beautiful. Um, So guys, we're going to look at uh, chapters 10 through 11 and kind of hit the other spots that Carolyn didn't get to today. Um, So, Meredith, one of the things that stuck out to me in chapter 10, you know, it starts by telling us about Shem, Ham, and Japheth, who are the sons of Noah. Uh, And it orders them as Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But when you get to verse 21 of chapter 10, you find out that Japheth is the older brother. Um, That would have been very counterintuitive to that world. If you were the oldest brother, you got the lion's share of the inheritance. That was kind of how the ancient world worked. So to put Shem first, uh, of course we know Shem is the line through which the Israelites will come and eventually Jesus will come it, it se- seems to indicate to me that God is wanting us to know right out of the gate he is not impressed by birth order. He's impressed by faith. He's impressed yeah. by his His sovereign choice in the matter, which I actually think has a lot to do with the faith that he sees in people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that?
1: Well, that is going to be a common theme throughout Scripture, Absolutely. choosing um, not the one. I think of... Um, David, King David, David being anointed as sure, king, sure. and how he wasn't even in the line yep, <laughs> of yep. brothers to be yep. chosen, um, and yet, and yet God said, "I don't look on the what people look yeah, at yeah. the outward appearance or birth order in yeah. this." Um, but David was out there in the fields, um, gaining confidence in God as he slays a lion yep. and slays a bear. That's really good. Um, and so. Yeah, you're right. I think um, he's already right here in Genesis 10 starting to show the pattern that often his ways are backwards from ours.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, that is straight up a biblical theme. Jacob is the younger brother to Esau. Moses is the younger brother to Aaron. Wow, David yeah, David is point. the youngest of a bunch of brothers. I mean, it's over and over and over again you see God preferring um, either the one who displays faith, or the one of just his sovereign choice. Yeah. Um, but he's not he's not interested in necessarily playing by our rules. Um,
1: I'm glad. <laughs> yeah.
0: Praise God. Yes. Um, verses six to twelve, we are told about the line of Ham. And Ham, of course, at the end of chapter nine, is kind of the cursed branch of Noah's family. So Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham, uh, at the end of chapter 9, we're told he does something wrong. Um, There's uh, inclinations that it's probably some type of sexual impropriety. Um, And basically, he's cursed by his father. And then from that line in verses 6 to 12 of chapter 10, we find out that uh, Nimrod comes from that line and that from Nimrod, or Nimrod founds the lands of Babylon and Assyria slash Nineveh, um, or founds the the city of Nineveh, which that's huge because the Old Testament is, uh, particularly once you get into um the the days of the kings, you're always aware that little, little Israel sits between the mighty superpowers of the yeah. day, Egypt yeah. in the south, uh, Assyria and Babylon in the north. So right out of the gate, the biblical author wants you to recognize where does these lands come from, and that um, from the line of that cursed, uh, Hamites are coming, these, uh, these superpowers that Israel will wrestle with for most of its existence yeah. in, the, in the ancient world. Um, we're also told in verses 13 to 14 uh, that from Ham's son Egypt uh, will come the Philistines who are always at, at battle with God's people. Um and then verse nineteen, we're told that Canaan, who's also from the line of Ham, uh, will give us Sodom and Gomorrah, who yeah. uh, were among the most wicked people of the ancient world. Um, so this this is a star-studded, uh, <laughs> star-studded lineup. Star-studded um, lineup. What did you? Carolyn talked about how in the ancient world they would build ziggurats these towers, but the idea was for God to come, the gods to come down to the people. Tell me kind of what your takeaway was from some of the things Carolyn was talking about there.
1: Well, I think it's always been God's desire to be with his people, to walk with his people. And we see that from in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the relationship he had with Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. from the Mm get-go. And so I think in each of us is the um, desire for that, yeah. whether we recognize it yeah. or not. And so at the Tower of Babel, as they're building this ziggurat, they're, they're essentially trying to regain that connection with God or a gods, who am mm-hmm. I, whoever they're worshiping, but they're doing it on their own terms. And they're yeah. they're going to make a name for themselves, and they're going to hope this God or gods are going to serve them and help them build this kingdom and this name for themselves.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Carolyn talked about how bricks were kind of like the uh, ingenuity of the ancient world. Um, but the, the thing that's interesting to me, when, when you read about uh, God calling people to build altars in the Old Testament, he would tell them to build it with uncut stone. Yeah. Uh, so it's always it's it's build an altar to me from the materials that I give you.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: Whereas here it's building a tower out of our own strength, out of our own uh, manufacturing abilities. Um, the the interesting thing John Walton talks about how that with a, a, a ziggurat, again, you would want the gods to come down. They would typically build a temple beside the ziggurat. And the hope was that the gods would come down and they would enter the temple and you would worship them there. So Walton talks about how essentially this is humanity trying to create sacred space again.
1: Mm.
0: We lost sacred space in Eden. Eden was this picture of kind of the first temple of God where um, he, he... creates this sacred space for his image bearers to be. Um, We rebel. We wind up getting uh, exiled from that sacred space, but now we're trying to build a new sacred space on our own terms. Um, And, uh, of course, uh, one of the things that Walton talks about is this is, um, in the ancient world, you would serve the gods so that the gods would serve you. And yeah God. which is
1: completely devoid of relationship yeah and and God's God's view of sacred God's design for sacred spaces is a place where we relate to him mm-hmm. and um, here they're seeking to, to create those sacred spaces yep. so they can get something from God or the yep. gods um, but not so they can have a relationship with him. Yeah
0: which I mean talk about bad religion yeah when you're when you're trying to, Utilize religion to get God to do what you need Him to do.
1: Yeah, and something we Christians can fall into. Oh my gosh! Oh my (laughs) gosh! Absolutely. If I check the boxes, then I'm going to earn God's blessing, and He'll do what I want Him to do.
0: (laughs) And and how many false expectations we create on God, um, because we're expecting Him to play by rules that He hasn't (laughs) He hasn't signed up for. Um, man, there's like tons of sermons there. Um, so it, it does bring us to think about um, if, if the first half of, or the first uh, 10, 11 chapters of Genesis is about uh, paradise or sacred space lost and then attempted to be regained through human effort, um, if you project out further into the narrative, uh, you get into Exodus. And of course, Exodus, the first half of the book, is kind of shocking all. It's all these amazing plagues and like Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and then crossing the Red Sea. And it's like, man, this is amazing. They make it to Mount Sinai. And then about the last 15 chapters of Exodus at least the first five times I read it, just get real boring because they're just like talking about the tabernacle. Yeah. And you you go, man, those first 25 chapters, they were fun, but now we're just talking about this chord should be connected to this and you should build the, you know, and it's like from my American perspective, uh, it's, it easily strikes me as, as boredom until I realize, wait a minute, God himself is finally reestablishing mm. sacred space.
1: Yeah, that's really good.
0: He's like, I'm going to be with my people again. Yeah. Um, so uh, you, you get to the, the word Babel. Um, I read somewhere that it it sounds like the Hebrew word for confused. I think probably a, the, another way of looking at it is it's kind of a short uh, abbreviation for Babylon. Babylon really becomes this idea of trusting in human strength and power, um, which in an exiled world, in an ex- a world exiled from knowing and walking in the power of God, that's what we get. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on chapter 11 before we move on to other questions?
1: No, I'm looking forward to getting into some details on that okay. specifics.
0: Yeah, okay. a couple last thoughts on chapter 11. So verse 26, um, the line of Shem comes down to Terah. Terah was uh, has Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Uh, Haran uh, has Lot, who is Abram's nephew, uh, and then. Uh, Heron kind of mysteriously dies and we're told that he dies in the land of his birth so it's kind of like his life did not progress uh, much past where he started from. Abram marries Sarai. We are told that she is childless and uh, so barren she was unable to conceive. Um, Meredith from from your perspective what is the significance in the ancient world of a woman not being able to have children?
1: that was kind of her, uh, the main thing that women did was childbearing and child rearing. Sure. sure. Um, also, the security for the future. Um, once their husband dies, their sons will take yep. care of them. And yep. so, to not have a child was um, not only a stigma, but it was also um, the, the lack of security for yep. your future.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, you were not perpetuating the family name. Yeah. You were also, that was your retirement. That was your, exactly. your, your stability in the world. So, this is a big, big deal. It's not, um, I, think, I think it's hard for us to appreciate just what a big deal that is yeah. in today's world uh, or was in, in our current reality. Yeah. Um, Terah starts a journey in verse 31, to which, and the interesting thing is the journey is heading to Canaan.
1: Yeah, I found that interesting too.
0: Yeah, so he's heading to the place that God is going to call Abram to, but he stops. He stops in Haran um, and just kind of sets up camp there. We're not really told why. Later in the text, we find out that Terah is a moon worshiper, Um, so he is not serving the God of Abraham and perhaps... Perhaps he was initially called by God. Perhaps he was called to the same... Maybe he was supposed to be the first patriarch. Mm. Um, and maybe he found a, a land in Heron that just kind of satisfied what he was looking for and put down roots. Um, yeah. That's a lot of questions there.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, So my question to you is, in all of this, what are the elements that you see that are foreshadowing Christ? Um,
1: well, <clears throat> I think um, Babel, especially, um, and all of the the story of Babel and the um, themes that under under um, that are at play here mm-hmm. are showing the human need or the human brokenness and the need for a savior.
0: That's good.
1: Um, and um, the theme of human evil. It's We've seen that all the way through the narrative from Genesis 3 all the way, um, and here we just see it's, again, reaching um, epic proportions, and yeah. God is about to step in and do something, um, which is, I mean, God stepped in and did something at the at, at, when Christ came to, and so yeah. to me that um, is pointing to just like um, they needed <laughs> a Savior and they needed God. Mm-hmm. Um, it... it Foreshadows the fact that Jesus would, that we would all need that and that Jesus would eventually come.
0: Yeah, there's, there are not tons of redemptive figures in chapters 10 and 11. Um, certainly, certainly with Noah, you're hopeful that he's going to be the next Adam, that he's going to be right. this guy that's in a covenant relationship with God and walks it out. But then, of course, like Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, we find out that he's drunk on the fruit kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so there's this sense of like he's failed, humanity has failed again. And then the narrative shifts into uh, people like Nimrod, who is uh, a mighty warrior or a mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, My understanding is that in the, the ancient world, Kings would be referred to as hunters because you would imagine that in in in, in a tribal world, um, the guy who's going to rule the tribe is probably the guy who's uh, biggest, strongest, most capable of taking down uh, and uh, taking down enemies, fighting uh, fighting enemies, but also um, hunt in a hunter gatherer uh, situation if you're bringing home the biggest game, uh, that probably puts you in a place of advantage. Those are speculative thoughts, but those are kind of my rationale with that. And so here is Nimrod. He is setting up uh, Babylon, and then he's setting up Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. Uh, And it seems to be that this is kind of... um, this is the opposite of the kingdom. In essence, this is a mighty man going out and establishing territory based on uh, brute strength and authority. Not, not what Carolyn was talking about this morning, where um, Jesus sets aside his uh, privileged status yeah, as divine and 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 takes on human form and becomes one of us and serves us from that place.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it says um, that he this um, he built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia, yeah. and so this is the first time I believe that we're seeing a kingdom being built, and it's. It's his kingdom. Yep. <laughs> this is yep. I will. This is already what we're going to see in chapter eleven. People making a name for themselves. This is Nimrod already saying, yeah. "I'm going to make a name for myself," and it's going to yeah. be my kingdom.
0: Yeah. And man, here's here's the interesting thing. It's bad to make a name for yourself. It's worse to use God to make your own name. Mm. And I think that's that. That is a, a word of warning. To the church today is like yeah. am I am I using this to exalt the name of Jesus, or am I using platforms to kind of utilizing Jesus' name to exalt my own yeah. um and i th- I think that's just a place where Lord, help us.
1: Yeah, it's a good word. Lord, help us. And it's something any one of us can do, um, regardless of our sphere of influence.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, Carolyn made the statement that Christ comes down, um, but he does not come down for his own glory or his own name. He comes down for the name of the Father, for the sake of the glory of the Father. Um, Christ doesn't invite the Father to do his will. He he comes to do the Father's will um, so in, in some ways, I think chapters 10 and 11 um, help us think about Christ, but from like an upside down kind of mirror opposite mm. vantage point where it's like uh, the chosen one won't be like that. He won't yeah, that's um, really good. set up kingdoms for himself. Um, how do you think these chapters reveal the gospel?
1: Well, you know, at the core of the gospel is God reconciling us to himself. Mm -hmm. And so um, we see God, uh, we see the theme of human evil once again, um, and then God coming down. And um, to me, it just is almost like this little microcosm of the gospel. It's just Mm -hmm. this picture um, of human brokenness, building our own kingdom, making a name for ourselves, spreading violence throughout the earth harming other people in the process um, and then God coming down um, God came down at the tower of Babel and then um, and then God set back in motion his plan for humanity to fill the earth and I think that to me is just such a it's like the gospel in a yeah. nutshell because that's what he did he stepped down in Christ when he took on flesh he stepped into our brokenness and he experienced what it was like to live here in this place broken planet um, with human limitations and human heartache, and he experienced human injustice and and <laughs> violence um, at the cross. Um, and yet, I think um, any time God steps in, sometimes it looks like chaos. Like at yeah. the Tower of Babel, yeah. he literally confused them. Yeah. And so a God who is a God of order sometimes uses chaos to stop the progression of brokenness and
0: that's good. And for
1: sure, that's what he did at the cross. He stepped down, and and to his disciples, that was utter chaos. This yep. was the Messiah has just yep. been murdered. <laughs> that's really good. What in the world has happened to the kingdom yep. that he was supposed to bring? Yep. It looked like chaos. And yet, because God is whole, if he's bringing chaos, it's to stop the progression of brokenness and to provide the opportunity to, for healing to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's he at the Tower of Babel, he steps in and um, changes the course of history, and then that's what he did at the cross, too.
0: That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, I think think for me it reveals the gospel in the sense that it reveals the deep human hunger to reinstitute sacred space, to reinstitute a place where we have communion with God. Um, It's lost in Eden it takes a gigantic step forward in Exodus, but it really finds home in Jesus. Mm. It really, you know, when he says, um, abide in me, like, what is he saying? Come be with me. I am, I am the ultimate sacred space.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's uh, really good.
0: reminds me of that St. Augustine quote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until Mm -hmm. they rest in you. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I I think is interesting in terms of gospel parallels is to look at Babel in, um, in light of Pentecost. So... Babel, God comes down. Everybody's speaking one language. He confuses them, and he sends them out. Wow! Yeah. Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. They're still speaking different languages, but everybody's hearing the glory of God in all these different nations. Because remember, this is this is during the festival of um, uh, festival of booths, and so. Basically, uh, observant Jews have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, but they grew up in different lands. Why? Because of the diaspora, because of the uh, exiles. And so, in some ways, uh, you might could say that Pentecost is kind of like the reversal of Babel. It's like God is finally speaking His glories to everyone, and He's building at Pentecost, he begins building this thing called the church, which has every tribe, every nation Mm -hmm. becomes one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Yeah, Um, so good. So it's, it's, it is exciting. It's, I tell you, once you start seeing those parallels, those narratives, it just makes the Bible so much fun. Yeah. Makes it so much fun. So Meredith, in a broken world, how would you use these passages to help someone become whole through Jesus. So you're sitting at a coffee shop, you're talking over Genesis 10 and 11. How, how would you use those to help somebody really learn to walk with God?
1: Well, I think um, the the thing that stands out to me the most as something that I can apply to my life as I'm growing in wholeness in Christ is just so often God uses the places of chaos. Hmm. Um, for me to meet with him Hmm. and for me to, um, for him to mend the brokenness in me and, um, teaches me how to walk out of that place of communion into Hmm. greater wholeness with him.
0: That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I think, um, I guess for me, I would, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you're sitting down with someone and, they're dealing with a lot of brokenness in their life, a lot of frustration in their life. And they really haven't learned discernment yet. They've kind of learned to assume that circumstances are reflective of God's will, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, I don't know why God won't open this door, yada, yada, yada. Um well, have you asked him? Have, have you asked him specific questions and, and really learned to discern what he has for you? Maybe maybe that door is not opening, and it's not so much God keeping it closed, but God has an interest in opening a very different door for mm-hmm. you. Have, have you learned to discern his voice? Have you learned to, to seek him out? And so... Helping people to to see human frustr or human frustration as, um, if God's not opening a door, um maybe he has good a reason for that. And and maybe the invitation is not to simply kind of stay five steps back not really knowing what God is doing, maybe the invitation is to lean in yes. and say, Father, speak to me. Yes. Help me to understand what you're doing here. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think in every single situation we face, whether um, it's a situation of our own making or something that has been done in our, to us or just life situations, every one of those is an invitation to lean in and to know the heart of God. When Jesus in Matthew 11 said, come to me. If you are weary and heavy laden, and yeah. I give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble yep. of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I think, in the broken spaces that we live, and the as we are becoming whole, but we're still not whole yet, yeah. um, those just the the greater we know God, not on a not on a mental level, but the greater we know God and experience His heart and His character, it may be that He wants to open that door, or He has a different door. And and maybe the door is not even the the main issue right now yeah. to him. But come come and experience my heart. Come yeah. and get to know me, because in me and in knowing me and experiencing me, you find rest. Yeah. And then maybe he opens whatever door it is. But but we're more ready to walk through it because we've experienced him, and we're we're kind of taking that sacred space into that next yeah.
0: place. Man, that's really good. I was I was at the Finney. Um, uh, Swamp Park yesterday, uh, and I left my cell phone in my car because I just wanted to do a prayer walk and, and talk to God, which was a dangerous thing because <laughs> I came across multiple snakes, uh, multiple alligators, and I was sitting there going, you know, there's not another soul out here, and I'm just uh, traipsing around without a cell phone. But I, I asked God, I said, Lord, I hear from you you speak to me. We have communion, but we I don't have the closeness of relationship with you that I wish I had and that I even feel like I'm supposed to have. So like, mm. what is missing? And it was, the Holy Spirit just brought this to mind. Be now, be here. And it hit me. It was like, that's the spiritual life. Mm. The spiritual life is, is experiencing God by being now, in the now, in this moment, being here, being where I'm at. And it was like the Lord just brought it to my mind that I'm rarely here and I'm rarely now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here thinking about the next place I'm going. I'm yeah. now thinking about two days from now, and he is so present. Um, So I think part of, I guess, guys, as you're out there, as you're walking through your week, think about, um, don't just think about, find space to just be very present to God. Be there and be in that moment. Be present to God. And and I, I believe that it is His will that you will experience sacred space with the Lord. Be blessed.